This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. All right, before I get to my next guest, Bob Ford, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret that pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here on Next on the Tee is one of the top instructors and a living legend in my mind in our game, and that's Bob Ford. Folks, if you know anything about me, you know that I research my guests and try to learn as much as I possibly can about them. And what I learned about Bob is he's a great player, a great instructor, a legend in our game, and loved by so many of uh, the folks in and around the game and so many of our mutual friends. It's unbelievable. Let me give you a little background about Bob. He grew up in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, played his college golf at the University of Tampa from 1971 to 1975. He is in more Hall of Fames than you can shake a stick at. Let me just give you a few of them. He was inducted into the Allegheny-Kiskey Valley Sports Hall of Fame in 1996. Our good friend Gus Farratt is also a member of that Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the Western Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame in 1998, the PGA Professional Hall of Fame in 2005, and the University of Tampa Sports Hall of Fame in 2006. Bob was the head professional at Oakmont Country Club for 37 years. In the winter, he became and still is the head professional at Seminole Golf Club, and as you know, both are two of the top golf courses anywhere on the planet. Bob has won the Pennsylvania Open three times. He's played in three U.S. Open, 10 PGA Championships, and I'm very honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Chris, my pleasure. Uh... <laughs> you you certainly are. They're big shoes to fill. I you know I got every confidence you can do it, but uh, you know I I wouldn't want to follow TP. I tell you that much. Well, he's he's a good man. He's a good friend. Yeah, Bob. I I want to start out, and I like to do this with any new guest on the show. Kind of learning about when you first started playing the game, and I read that it was actually your mom and your brother that you first started to tag along with when you were 12 years old. Talk about that. 
Well, yeah, I was a little little knucklehead, and uh, you know they invited me along so I could push my mother's pull cart for her or pull it. And uh, you know they were my brother was uh, seven years older than I was, so he was you know eighteen, nineteen at the time. He was a good player, and my mom wasn't a good player, but she was a really avid golfer. And uh, you know she volunteered at the Philadelphia IVB Classic every year, and I followed her out there one year, and and I and they had this uh, this fence that I, I hung out at, and Reeves McBee was there right right in front of me hitting. A shag ball, his shag balls, and uh, you know, brand new Tylus. Just the sound of him hitting those irons just turned me on to the game. So the next time I went out with my with my brother and my mom, I said, you know, can I take a crack and hit one of those things? And uh, <laughs> so I started smacking it around, and pretty soon, uh, obviously, I became a third wheel to their game and uh, played along with them, and you know, grew up there in the Valley Forge Jerry and. My folks joined Ironic when I was in high school, and I played all the other sports up until actually my junior year of high school when I when I turned just to golf and uh, you know to caddy at Ironic and grew up around Jay Siegel and and all the great members at Ironic in that era was uh, you know a game changer for me. Uh, I, I kind of in the back of my mind it was like you know I want to I want to be around these people the rest of my life. These people are cool. I like them. I like the game. I like what they do. I like how they act. And, uh, you know, went, went away to Tampa. And, you know, most people are studying. I was probably out hitting golf balls. So talk about that, Bobby, because it's interesting to me. How does a kid from Valley Forge end up playing his college golf at the University of Tampa? Well, it's pretty easy. It was the only school it would take me. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> I applied to Jackson, University of Jackson, Jacksonville University, I guess. I applied there. They said, you can come if you go to summer school. I wasn't going to do that. Tampa took me right in uh, that fall, uh, which was a great thing for me to, to happen to me. I wasn't really a very good – I mean, I was a captain of my high school golf team like many people, but I wasn't very good. I was an 80 shooter basically in the sectionals and whatnot. I never never made it to the States and uh, – so I really wasn't very talented to warrant a scholarship and go to a Division One school. Uh, but at, at Tampa, you know, in the early 70s, you know, it was uh, everybody smoking dope and doing drugs and all my buddies and I joined a fraternity and it was, uh, you know, they were all a mess. And every time that, that that all would start, I'd go hit golf balls. So I got away from all of that uh, craziness by, by hitting golf balls. And, I, you know, by the time I was a senior, I was a pretty decent player. And I actually uh, went down to see Lou Warsham to get some advice from him. I just wanted him to really just to say, yeah, you should go play the tour, son. And he surprised me. And he said, well, why don't you come to Pittsburgh this summer? I'll find out whether you can play or not. And uh, so I wasn't really – I had no no desire to do that whatsoever, but I did it and because I wanted to play, period. And, uh, you know, I went to work for him and fell in love with the business and the – the club life, and I went to four tour schools, and I missed, you know, I missed the last one I went to. I missed by three shots. I was in seventh place with two rounds to go, and I started thinking about what I was going to wear at the Bob Hope and the Andy Williams, and got a little ahead of myself and choked on on the last two rounds. And you know, thankfully for me, I missed. And then uh, uh, he decided to retire in the end of '79, and, and I was lucky enough to get the job. And Bob, I. 
I, I read that the way that you, you actually met Lou when he, you know, obviously had professional there at, at Oakmont was you wrote him a letter asking him about any job that might be available during the 1973 U.S. Open, and he actually answered the letter and, and gave you a job in the stock room. Was was that how it happened? You know, you're, that's pretty accurate, Chris. You know, in 71, when I graduated high school and hadn't moved to Pittsburgh yet with my family, uh, the U.S. Open was being played at Murrayan in early June, and I volunteered there with my mom again, and, and uh, I worked on the third green. I, coincidentally, I just played there yesterday. I told the guys this story yesterday. By the way, Marion is spectacular. I mean, it is, you know, Gil Hans did no an unbelievable job. Every hole is a picture. But, uh, so I volunteered in 71 uh, at that Open that uh, Trevino beat Nicholas in, and uh, my good friend Jim Simons, the amateur from Wake Forest, uh, he's actually from Butler, Pennsylvania, was leading, uh, slept on the lead Thursday night, or uh, I'm sorry, Saturday night. So it was a pretty cool time for me. And, and then, so now I'm, now I moved to Pittsburgh and now the open is going to be at Oakmont. So I was like, wow, this is, that was kind of cool. I think I'll do it again. And uh, so I did, I wrote, uh, wrote Lou a letter and un unbelievably wrote me back. I don't know why he didn't know me from Adam. And uh, I did know a couple members and I probably mentioned them in the letter. Maybe that helped. But he did. He hired me. I worked the week before, during, and after. So I worked three work three weeks for him. And uh, he said, "So what, what do you what do you want? Like what do you, like what do you want from him as payment?" And you know, I just volunteered. I, I he didn't have to pay me anything. But I said, "Well, I, I could use a set of irons and and maybe a pair of golf shoes." I and mean, I really didn't didn't have much money. So yeah, he gave me gave me a set of irons and gave me a pair of golf shoes, and I was off. And uh, so when I went back down to see him when I graduated, uh, you know, at least I had a little connection with him, and I was in awe of him. And I'm sure he felt that and knew that I would be subservient to him, which hey, I worked for him for five years. I wish it was 10. But, uh, yeah, it was a great start. And is that where it all kind of branched out from there? You know, you go from being at the University of Tampa and sort of the next thing you know, you're the assistant pro at, at Oakmont, one of the top golf courses on the planet. You're 21 years old. Yeah, you know, not much resonates with you when you're 21 years old. You know, <laughs> I had worked my last two, uh, well, my last two years in college, I worked at Palmasia for a guy named Gil Gonzalez, who was a great, another great mentor of mine. And uh, my college roommate, Rod Pyatt, we both worked there at Palmasia in Tampa. And so I knew a little bit about what was going on in the golf business and, you know, how to how to treat people and and uh, just take care of what they needed. But, uh, yeah, when you're 21, you know, to go to Oakmont, it just it, it really, really wasn't, you know, as big a deal then as it, as it is now looking back on it. It's like, oh, my God, you're so lucky you can't even see straight. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was a, an, an incredible run that I had. And, Bob, I also read that, that Lou helped you improve your golf swing by putting a two by four on the ground and a golf ball about an inch or two away from it and said, that board is going to be the best pro you'll ever meet. Is that accurate? Chris, you're on top of your game, brother. Yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, it'd be like being in a hallway in a hotel and, and you put the ball up against the, you know, the one of the hallways and try to hit it without hitting the, hitting the wall. And, uh, you know, I took a couple swings at it, and I was a cutter at that time, a little bit like Litsky. 
I, I wish I was a lot like Whiskey, but my ball curved like his did. That's about the only comparison. But yeah, I, so I couldn't, I couldn't hit it. I said, "Can that ball get hit?" And he said, yeah, "Absolutely." And I missed a couple more times. I said, "I don't think so." And he got out of his cart and hit a ball in two years. He whacked it out of there like it was nothing. I said, "You can go home. I'll figure this out." <laughs> and it was. And I, you know, I went down. I qualified at Bay Hill, which got me an Inverary and. And he was in at Coral Ridge in Fort Lauderdale in the wintertime. So I went on over to see him and got that board out and maybe hit against that board again. And, but it did. It, uh, it obviously helped me hit the ball more from the inside and control it better and really changed my life, actually. And, Bob, I'm from Pittsburgh, and um, I read you got to play a round of golf with Ralph Terry, Bill Mazeroski, and Bob Friend. And Bob Friend Jr. is a great friend of the show and wanted me to pass along his uh, – his hello to you, as did Paul Alexander from Pittsburgh as well. But um, around the golf with Ralph Terry, Bill Mazeroski, Bob Brand, three of the obviously main characters in that 1960 Pirates Great World Series victory over the Yankees. What was that like? Well, Chris, you know, it just speaks volumes about the game of golf that we play. You know, the people you meet, the fraternity, you know, how much golf, uh, you know, you know how much we cherish the game in our life and, and what it does for us. I mean, for me, I'm just a. I was eight years old when they played that game, and and but I grew up reading about them, seeing it, and uh, and became a pirate fan actually, uh, even though I was a Philadelphia guy. And you know, Bob Friend Senior, the pitcher, he was just a monster. I mean, he's a huge, big back guy, and and just a stalwart for the Pirates throwing, you know for 20 years for them, and, and Mazeroski, obviously, just a really good guy. Those two were about the same types of golfers. You know, they're probably, you know, six to ten handicappers that love the game, and, and after their baseball careers, they did so much for Pittsburgh and all the charity events that we, we have out here. But Ralph Terry could play. He was, he was really good. I think he won on the Champions Tour, actually. I know he played out there, and... uh but he was a really neat guy, really a fun guy, and just you know, fun through the years uh, as those guys aged out to you know to call them friends and, and be around them and just be in awe of those guys. It was it was awesome. And being you know there at Oakmont for all those years, I I got to believe you had uh, opportunities to to meet and play you know with a lot of the Pittsburgh you know legends from the Steelers, Pirates, Penguins. What are some of your favorite stories of uh, being around those guys? Well, I have. Actually, uh, two of our Pittsburgh heroes became members here at Oakmont, Mario Lemieux and Jerome Bettis. And, uh, you know, I can't remember the year, really, but I have pictures that remind me that I was actually there in the foursome. But Mario brought uh, Dan Quinn, who he played hockey with, uh, and was kind of a sidekick, and uh, Michael Jordan out to play one day. We played from the tips. This was back before the course was lengthened and, you know, 30 years ago probably. And uh, damn if Michael didn't shoot uh, 76 from the tips. I mean, I was impressed. And Mario, you know, Mario's golf swing looks like Ernie Els, the big easy. He's got a magnificent golf swing and was a really good player. And, and Danny Quinn was a really good player. So we had a great group. We had a great day. We got in. You know, I lived on the 18th green at that time at Oakmont. And uh, my kids were little. My girl was probably, they were probably eight, six, and four. And uh, got my, you know, Danny, Danny kind of facilitated the Mike, Michael kept being there. I said, you think I can get a picture with uh, with MJ? And 
my wife had the camera. She took the pictures and uh, she went back down the house and she came back up. She said, you're not going to believe this. But I didn't have any film in my camera. I'm like, oh, oh my. Crap. Can you imagine missing a, a an opportunity like that? But darn it, uh, Danny Quinn didn't get them to come back out and, uh, you know, take some more pictures. So, uh, you know, Michael and, and Mario took pictures with the kids and we got a foursome picture. And, uh, you know, they're obviously uh, real prizes for, for my wall. But that was, you know, that was kind of cool. Uh, I played with Terry Bradshaw back when he was playing. Uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, our current uh, guy, NBC used to have this little event, Chris, that, uh, you know, they they took some celebrities. They had a foursome that would play the open golf course before the championship and see if they could break 100, I think. I, I think it was 100. You might, you might remember this. It was on NBC TV. But NBC called and said, uh, you know, Ben's going to come up here to Beth Page, and, and we want to get him prepped, and we want to do a little story. We want you to be his teacher and uh, take him around the golf course, play four or five holes at Oakmont, get him warmed up, and, and we'll film it all, and it'll be part of our story when we do the show. I said, well, that would be fun. So I go down. I, uh, I hadn't met Ben before, but watch him hit some balls, and he's an excellent player. Really, really a fine player, like Mario. And, uh, you know, started the conversation out, you know, how you've been playing, you've been playing much, and what are you shooting? And said, so who do you work with on your swing? And uh, he said, I've never had a lesson about I watched him hit a couple wow. of balls. And I, I said, well, Ben, uh, you're not going to have get one from me either. Let's go play. And, uh, I mean, he, you know, he did not need any help with his golf swing, believe me. So we went and played a few holes and uh, and had some fun. And, and uh, I, he was one of the guys that, that did break 100 or whatever the number was. Maybe it was 90, but uh, played Beth Page uh, right before the Open and played pretty well. He's, he's a good player, good guy. We love him, obviously, here in Pittsburgh. He's a big star. And uh, so those are a few great experiences that I had. And, Bob, I, I read a story, you know, switching down to your, your time at Seminole. What a story about Ben Hogan and how he used to come down to Seminole late in the winter to prepare for the Masters back when Augusta National had Bermuda grass. And he would play with a guy by the name of uh, you know George Coleman, who was a member there, and also Bob Sweeney, who actually gave Mr. Hogan strokes when they played. Do you mind telling everybody who Bob Sweeney is and then uh, some of those stories? Well, Bobby, you know, that, that is the lore, Chris. You have it. Uh, you have the story right. He, uh, Bobby Sweeney was a, you know, kind of a modern day playboy kind of a guy, uh, Palm Beach, London, New York City, uh, you know, a lot of money. Um, he, you know, was a, a bomber in the, in the World War II, flew a bunch of missions, you know, as a hero in the war. Uh, he'd won the British amateur in the 30s, kind of to figure out his age. And he went in the war, and then he came back, and uh, Arnold Palmer beat him in the finals, won up in the finals of the U.S. Amateur to win the U.S. Amateur that, that year. So Bobby Sweeney could really play. And uh, Hogan called him the best fairway wood player he'd ever, ever played with. But he was, you know, playing all the time and, and uh, playing at Seminole in the wintertime. And Hogan had come down in March, hadn't hit a shot in two months, you know, so came from Dallas. It was cold in Dallas. And uh, so he asked Bobby to give him a shot aside the first two weeks of March. And then the last two weeks, they played flat. So uh, that story's true. 
Bobby Sweeney was quite a guy. Obviously, I never met him. Um, he, he passed away in the early 80s. But uh, great player, great great playboy, great Palm Beach socialite kind of a guy. And, uh, and you know, one fascinating thing about Hogan is that he, which I've seen down there in person a lot, are checks that he wrote when he lost to people. He'd write a check, $2.50, 5 bucks, 10 bucks. You know, I, I don't know whether it was cheap or not. He certainly had a lot of money, but, um, you know, he knew these people wouldn't cash these checks for his autographs. So, you know, <laughs> now, now you see him on eBay all the time, these little checks. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, Bob, you were one of the best playing PGA professionals ever. I mean, you qualified for three U.S. Opens, including the 83 Open there at Oakmont, 10 PGA Championships. And two of those majors that you played in were at Baltus Roll was sort of bookended your playing career. Talk about what it was about Baltus Roll that brought out the best in you and your game. Well, Chris, uh, it's interesting the way you put that, bookended it, because that's how I felt about it. <clears throat> you know, my first year at Oakmont was, <laughs> well, I'll go back to Lou Warsham. Lou Warsham, my mentor, got hired in, in uh, April of 47 at Oakmont, and and qualified and played in the U.S. Open in June, and he beat Sam Snead in the playoffs to win the U.S. Open. And he came back to work for 32 more years. Now, he, you know, back then, those guys played a lot uh, on the tour. He won six or seven more times on the tour. He sunk the famous wedge at Tamashanter in 53, the first televised golf event ever in the United States. On the 72nd hole, he beat Chandler Harper by a shot, which was a shot heard around the world in that era. So, when I took over at Oakmont, I qualified the first year to uh, play a ball straw in the Open. Now, obviously, it, my, I didn't have a storybook ending like Lou did, but uh, you know, it was a real thrill for me. It was the first major I ever played in. I, I didn't expect to qualify. You know, I, I didn't really feel like I was of that caliber of player. I, I, I demonstrated that in my performance at ball straw. I don't know, I shot 76, 78, something like that, and was down the road. But it was a really important week for me because I met Bob Ross. Bob Ross was the professional at Ball Straw. He, too, qualified to play in that Open. So uh, he and I are really the only pros to ever qualify to play at our host club uh, in the Open uh, since Claude Harmon did it in 1959 at Wingfoot. So... But since since we were there and, and I became buddies with him, he became a great mentor of mine, and, and he was a great merchandiser. And back then, you know, the pro owned the concession of uh, the merchandise for the Open. So we'd play practice rounds, and we'd go back in, and we'd go work in the tent. I'd work the cash register. I, you know, I had to learn everything there was to learn because in 83, I was going to host it myself. So even after our you know, Thursday and Friday rounds where we both missed the cut. You know, we, we'd work either before or after our round, and, and I stayed and worked on the weekend and learned all I could from him and picked his brain, and uh, he was just an enormous um, source of information for me that uh, and became a great friend. And he, he, just, he was one of, the, one of the, my idols, uh, you know, once I got into the business and started meeting these guys, and uh, just an incredible man. Bob, just a couple more before I let you go. And uh, the 83 U.S. Open at Oakmont, obviously you qualified for it. You made the cut. Early in the week, you played practice rounds with Jack Nicklaus, Tom Weiskopf, Ed Sneed, Arnold Palmer, Ben Crenshaw, Miller Barber, and Jay Siegel. Then over the weekend, 
you end up being paired with Hubert Green, Lou Graham, and Bob Gilder. Boy, it sure doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Talk about what you remember about that week. Well, I don't know if I remember much. It was kind of a blur, but I do remember sitting down at the end of the week and saying, you know, this might be the highlight of your life, the highlight of your career, and it certainly as a player was. And uh, it, you know, sort of put me on the map as far as the respect of my peers and respect of those uh, that era of tour player, uh, which was, you know, meant a lot to me, obviously. Uh, it, it a fun story, on, on Wednesday, you know, I had, uh, Bob Ross and I were invited to go to Japan for a couple of weeks in the fall of 82, I guess, and uh, by Roger Cleveland, who owned the Cleveland Company at that time. His brother-in-law owned a family, owned a golf course, and they wanted us to come over there and teach their members for a couple of weeks, because back then they didn't really have much instruction and lo and behold they were hosting a, a Benson and Hedges match by Tony Jacklin and Ben Crenshaw uh, who were playing four courses on four continents in four days so it was kind of a neat match and uh, I got caddy for Ben Crenshaw and, and Bob caddy for Tony Jacklin and they played and they you know they both shot right around par that day but uh, you know I said to Ben you know, if I, if I happen to qualify for the Open next in 83, you know, would you play a practice round with me? He said, I'd love to, Bob. It'd be great. So I qualified, and I sure, I got to call him. I called Ben and said, you know, would you play with me on Wednesday? He said, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, I said, good, well, I'll, I'll fill out the game. So I got Arnold to play. It was just unbelievable to me, you know, the Oakmont connection, the Warsham connection, and Arnold just treated me like a, you know, like his his buddy, and uh, and Jay Sigel. Now Jay Sigel qualified probably for a lot of opens, but uh, he and I and Bob Ross played together in 1980 in practice rounds. He had qualified that year as well, and then he qualified in '83 again. I guess he won the '82 amateur, so he was the reigning amateur champion. And uh, so I got, you know, I've got Crenshaw, Sigel, and Palmer, and. Uh, Ben was on the, gets on the property, and he said, uh, I got Miller Barber for, to play with. I said, geez, Ben, I, I, you know, I got Arnold and uh, Jay Siegel. You know, I mentioned I was going to fill out the group, and so now we got five. So he said, well, I'll ask, ask the USJ if we can play five. <laughs> so <laughs> I got P.J. Boatwright at the time was, uh, you know, he was running the open. P.J., I got a problem. I, this is what I got. And, because it was Arnold Palmer, we got we got permission to play five, and we played five. And uh, I don't I don't know if that ever happened before, but you know the power of Arnold uh, in the Open at Oakmont uh, allowed us to play five. So that was a, a great great part of that week. You know, it also you know after playing with Nicholas and those guys Tuesday, and then Arnold on on Wednesday. You know, by Thursday I, I wasn't really as nervous anymore, and I was paired with a couple other club pros who were buddies of mine, and. You know, that Thursday, Friday, I just, you know, just played pretty carefree and, and wasn't wasn't incredibly nervous as I was at ball throw, certainly, and uh, was able to play my game and, and played into the weekend, which was really a ball for me. Bob, just one more before I let you go. And you did such a wonderful job last weekend uh, on the Golf Channel broadcasting the U.S. Open honorary starter, you know, there at Winged Foot. Um, talk about what you saw and what that uh, experience was like for you. Well, Chris, you know, it was the fourth year that I've done that, and, and, and I'm supposed to do it indefinitely, which is, you know, an unbelievable honor. 
Uh, I'll tell you, you know, Wingfoot is one special place. The golf course was just magnificent. The players all raved about it all week, which they never rave about a U.S. Open golf course. And the club and the clubhouse and the members that are so proud to host it in the clubhouse just, you know, they've spent about 50 million bucks there over the last 10 years, uh, you know, getting ready for all this. So they were in great form. It was really weird um, announcing Tiger Woods and having nobody applaud. So the fact that there were no fans there was really weird. Uh, you know, I had lunch with uh, Paul Casey, and he said, you know, it's it's not it's not as much fun not playing, you know, with the fans. And, uh, you know, I, I think that those guys like the applause. They like the attention. They're used to it. And, uh, you know, now they're, now they're kind of just like playing with their buddies again. It's just it's just not as fun. So hopefully we get back to normal soon. Uh, I think Wingfoot, you're going to see another open there, you know, probably in another six or eight years. And uh, it, it's just a great place. It's a great experience. I, I actually I didn't know that I would like it as much as I did when I started to be the starter. But uh, it's it's a it's a privilege. It's an honor, and uh, it, it, you know to do anything inside the ropes at the U.S. Open is a, a cool deal. Bob, uh, before I let you go, how is there a way for our listeners to stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether that's following you on social media, online, somewhere? How can we find out uh, all the things you're going to be up to? Chris, I'm trying to be like Hogan. You know, I'm trying to be in the dark. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, I, I don't do social <laughs> media. I'm not good at it. I'm lucky I was able to dial your number on the iPhone. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, another year to go here at Seminole. Uh, you know, I work for a company called GBN, which is Golf Business Network, and it's a network of club professionals, and we do job searches. We're, we're in the midst of three or four job searches uh, as we speak, which is fun for me to stay in it and connect with my, you know, with my fraternity of fellow professionals. And, you know, I love playing golf. I love traveling and seeing the guys that work for me and seeing their clubs and traveling. You know, I never could do that before. And uh, I'm just kind of trying to ride into the sunset, pal. Wow. Well, well Bob, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. A huge thrill for me to get to spend this time with you. I uh, I sure hope I'm privileged enough to get to do it again sometime. Anytime, Chris. Uh, you do a great job, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Bob. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. You too, Chris. Take care. Thank you. You too. That's a great Bob Ford, folks. It, it just doesn't get much better than that. Well, what a wonderful man. What a wonderful player. Um, and uh, his contributions to the game of golf are endless. And like I said, you know, I just gave you a little bit of the highlights at the top. If you really get into his uh, everything that he has done and meant to the game of golf. Uh, and I've said this a couple of times before with, uh, with some other guests, but uh, certainly true with Bob as well. If I would have gone down the list, I would have had enough time to say hello and goodbye. That's how much he has done and how much he has meant to the game of golf. He is a true legend and a treasure. And uh, I mean it sincerely. I hope I get the privilege of, uh, of having him on again real soon. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. 
Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.